You are listening to the Through the Bible Studio Series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the Old Testament book of Proverbs. Here's Nate. Well, as we turn to Proverbs chapter 11, we of course are in this larger section of Proverbs where we have a big collection of various Proverbs that don't necessarily have a connection or relationship to one another, but are more standalone in nature. Now, one of the beautiful elements of having them organized in this particular way or what it might actually feel that it's not organized in a very particular way. One of the advantages of it is that as we interact with Proverbs devotionally in our own lives, uh, we, in any given moment, even reading just one chapter of Proverbs, will find a multitude of subjects that are covered in that one setting. In other words, You could take every proverb that deals with child raising and cluster them all together, but that's not what the compilers of Proverbs did. The Proverbs concerning parenting are scattered throughout the book, so if you pick up the book of Proverbs on any given day, you may or may not read a proverb that deals with parenting, but the chances are good that as you just each day spend a little time In the book of Proverbs, there is going to be something that ministers uh, to and into uh, your uh, heart. And so here we uh, continue on in Proverbs and look at Proverbs chapter 11. It begins this way, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Uh, In those days, they had crude scales that could be changed uh, out to benefit the purpose of the individual. So if you were buying, you had one set of scales that would benefit you as the buyer. And if you were selling, you had another set of scales that would benefit you as the seller. And it was part of God's law that they were only to have one set of weights for their work and for their home, Deuteronomy uh, chapter 25. The interesting thing here, though, is that when a false balance did occur, uh, it was an abomination to God. And when a just weight occurred, he says, it is his delight. In other words, God is there delighting over what is just financially, and deceitful financial maneuvers are abhorrent to God, is what uh, is being announced to us. So God sees certain things that are, are an abomination financially, and he sees certain things that are a delight to him financially. And the important thing for the believer is to understand that this doesn't necessarily mean that God will show himself then and there at the moment of the transaction. But it does mean that God sees, God knows, and God will, in the life of the believer especially, he will act, he will move. When he sees those in secret, just financial decisions being made, whether it's in generosity or um, a faithfulness or a stewardship, when he sees an honesty, when he observes these things, it's a delight to him. And I believe the Lord will then provide and move and work and operate in that kind of life. But when he sees uh, 
acts financially that are an abomination, well, the Lord involves himself in a person's life in a negative kind of way, in a judgmental or uh, disciplinary kind of way as a result. And so just believing and knowing that God is involved, a false balance, an abomination, a just weight is his delight. Verse 2, he says, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. Now, the word pride here comes from a verb which means to boil up or to boil over. In other words, there's a version of pride that leads us to overstep our uh, boundaries. And when you overstep your boundaries, that leads to disgrace. However, with the humble is wisdom. Not with the humble comes honor, which would sound like the opposite of the prideful's disgrace, but something that leads to honor, and that is wisdom. The person that lowers themselves, they receive the wisdom of God, and that wisdom will then lead them not to disgrace, but to honor coming into uh, their lives. The integrity, verse 3, of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. Now, in these next few verses, uh, Solomon is going to refer to the value of righteousness in giving guidance and protection in life and from hardship. And here in verse 3, he announces that the integrity of the upright guides them. In other words, that quality within integrity of being honest and having strong moral principles, that moral uprightness that comes from the fear of the Lord, uh, that state of being whole and undivided, but focused upon the Lord and obedient to him, that integrity, it guides you, he says. In other words, it helps you to know what to do at various moments within your life. You see, when integrity is inside of you, uh, there really is no question when the temptation comes. And so integrity actually provides guidance. Riches, verse 4, do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, verse 4, but righteousness delivers from death. And of course, absolutely, we have an eternal promise here that the imputed righteousness of Christ delivers us from the coming death or the coming eternal death. But here, Solomon is speaking of the long life that usually accompanies righteous living. In other words, money, he says, riches do not profit in the day of wrath. Money cannot buy long life or health. Uh, For all it can do, money is very limited. But righteousness can lead to a long life. The righteousness, verse 5, of the blameless keeps his ways straight, but the wicked falls by his own wickedness. The righteousness of the upright delivers them, but the treacherous are taken captive by their lust. And so very similar to the uh, third verse, you have the straight mentioned uh, versus those who fall. You have the one who is delivered through uprightness and the one who is taken captive uh, by their lust. And so a straight honorable, godly life is basically a life with fewer obstacles and fewer troubles. There's just less complexity and danger and difficulty to a clean and righteous 
uh, life. When the wicked, verse 7, dies, his hope will perish, and the expectation of wealth perishes too. Now, a couple of things are being emphasized here, but the main emphasis, or one major emphasis, is the finality of death. When the wicked dies, there is no more hope, and the expectation of wealth perishes at all. In other words, there is no hope at that one moment. This life, he says, is our one opportunity. It's here in this life that we have. It's our one opportunity to walk by faith, to be obedient to the Lord, to receive the message of the gospel. This life is our opportunity. And so to respond to the Lord while there is still time is one of the crucial takeaways of this proverb. The righteous, verse 8, is delivered from trouble and the wicked walks into it instead. Now, this, of course, isn't one of those things that always universally comes to pass, but a general rule is that God watches over the righteous and deliver them from trouble. Now, ultimately, every righteous person will be delivered from trouble because we will be delivered unto God for all of eternity. We will be rejoicing in him as every tear is wiped away and every sorrow becomes past tense. We will glory in the presence of the Lord for all of eternity. But here he says, In this life, God delivers the righteous from trouble, and instead, the wicked walk into it. Uh, You might read the book of Esther, chapter 3 through 7, and see the case of Haman and discover the story of a man who prepared trouble for the righteous, Mordecai, but was actually delivered into it or walked into the very trouble uh, that he had prepared for Mordecai. God turned the tables, so to speak. And just to trust, I think, more and more in our lives, the power of God, the ability of God, that God is defending us, that God is watching over us, that God is able to Take that which man has intended for evil and God intends it for and uses it for good. With his mouth, verse 9, the godless man would destroy his neighbor, but by knowledge the righteous are delivered. Now, in the next few verses, some community relationships will be discussed. And one of the things that's so important about a community of believers is the way that we use our mouths. Here, he says in verse 9 that the godless man's mouth actually destroys people, destroys his neighbor. But with knowledge or by knowledge, the righteous are delivered. In other words, one of the ways to escape Uh, slander or the way of escape of slander is actually through, he says, knowledge. But by knowledge, the righteous are delivered. And the question, of course, is what kind of knowledge delivers a person from slander? Well, probably we're talking about a few levels of knowledge. One, the knowledge that slander is not true that there's a bent there, there's an angle there, there's an emphasis there, there's a one-sidedness there that makes the thing that is being told untrue. Also, there is the knowledge, not only that the slander is untrue, but that the slander is actually cancerous. He knows 
what slander will lead to and how it will corrupt his own soul and make him a worse man by engaging in it. And he possesses that knowledge, and so he's delivered from the slander that would destroy his neighbor. Probably also, though, there is at times the knowledge of the deeper realities and the true truths. In other words, the wise man, the righteous man is able to actually discern and to find the facts at times of the matter. When it goes well, verse 10, with the righteous, the city rejoices. And when the wicked perish, there are shouts of gladness. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but but by the mouth of the wicked, it is overthrown. Here we see a couple of times that the righteous life can make public life better. In other words, righteous people are able to make a community better. Now, obviously, there are times where righteous people are persecuted uh, by the community that they live in, and therefore they're unable to impact their community for the positive, but actually a hatred for them brings out the evil inside of that community. But so often, and especially in ancient Israel, you would see that a righteous person actually is positively impacting their culture and their society. The way he says it is that the city rejoices and the city is exalted. And the reason for that is very simple. When Jesus came, he came as a giver and not as a taker. He came to lay down his life, not to pick up his life. He came with a cross before he would take a crown. And like Jesus, we as his followers, as we are following him in the cultures and the cities that we live in, we come as givers rather than takers. We become healers of brokenness, not judgers of brokenness. So the impact can be felt in the communities that we live in when we live that righteous kind of life. A city rejoices, a city is exalted. Now, uh, in small cities, and in that day, there would be plenty of small cities of 5,000 people or less, uh, it would take a smaller number of righteous people to impact that city. But in a large population with millions of people, you need many believers, many righteous, to bless the larger community collectively. Whoever, verse 12, belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. Whoever goes about, verse 13, slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. So to belittle someone or to reveal a secret of someone, this actually comes easy. Uh, It's easy to share something that you know you ought to keep to yourself or to belittle someone else. But the man of understanding behaves counterintuitively by remaining silent and keeping a thing covered. Where, verse 14, there is no guidance, a people falls, but in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Now, in verse 14, we have a verse that deals with just the way that we live life and the way that we come to conclusions as we come to different forks in the road, decision decisions that we need to make in life. He says, where there is no guidance, a people falls. That term guidance means Uh, It's actually a nautical term that is used for steering a ship 
or a people, where there is no guidance, where there's no one steering, a people falls. But in an abundance of counselor, there is, counselors, there is safety. In other words, wisdom is not something that is found in isolation, but by preparing to actually take counsel. Sometimes, and quite often, the counsel will come uh, from the multitude of voices, and there will be a collective voice that is pointing to a particular decision. At times, however, there will be many counselors who give an attempt, but there will be one counselor who has the ear and the mind of the Lord, and they give that word uh, in counsel to you, and it greatly benefits uh, your heart. Like Ahab, who had five, or uh, excuse me, four hundred false prophets, but only one Micaiah to tell the truth. There are times where, uh, in an abundance of counselors, there will be one who rises to the surface and gives us the instruction that we need. However, for the most part, it's a multitude of pastors and small group leaders and Bible verses and Bible teaching and godly friends who will lead us to the counsel that brings us to safety. Whoever, verse 15, puts up security for a stranger will surely suffer harm, but he who hates striking hands in pledge is secure. Now we saw this all the way back in chapter 6. He's saying to partner financially with a stranger is a bad move. That's what the striking of the hands in a pledge is all about. It's not just a high five, but it's a commitment, a financial commitment. I will be financially responsible for the debt that you have. And he says it's better actually to be allergic to to striking hands. You hate striking hands in a deal than to become financially responsible for someone that you do not know. A gracious woman, verse 16, gets honor and violent men get riches. So a woman of grace or a person of grace, honor flows, but violent people, he says a violent man gets riches. And the the uh, contrast here is very simple. What he's saying is honor is much better to have than riches. Or the way that NIV puts it is violent men get only wealth. So they're they're getting the wealth, but without the honor. And so no matter what, we ought to desire to live an honorable life. And at least if it leads to prosperity, then wonderful. A man, verse 17, who is kind benefits himself, but a cruel man hurts himself. The wicked, verse 18, earns deceptive wages, but one who sows righteousness gets a sure reward. Whoever, verse 19, is steadfast in righteousness will live, but he who pursues evil will die. So you have many contrasts here. There are the benefits and the sure reward and life versus hurt and deceptive wages and death. And I find that it's proverbs like these that are the reason to actually stay in the book of Proverbs. Because at any moment of any day, temptation could come. And to be reminded of the end of temptation, hurt, deceptive wages, death, to be continually reminded of that temptation in the individual moments of my life is so helpful to keep me on the track that God has for my life. Those, verse 20, of crooked heart, are an abomination 
to the Lord. But those of blameless ways are his delight. Be assured, an evil person will not go unpunished, but the offspring of the righteous will be delivered. So again, the deliverance of God upon the righteous life. Our help comes from the Lord. Psalm 121 verse 1 and 2. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And so uh, here you see the righteous person looking to God for his deliverance. Now verse 22, we have a fascinating little verse. It's uh, very striking. Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. Now, in those days, Israelite women would wear nose rings for beautification. So the idea here is very simple. A gold nose ring could beautify a pig, which was an unclean animal. In other words, a, a, a nose ring really doesn't clean up an unclean animal and and so the comparison is simple a woman's physical beauty cannot excuse her lack of discretion her lack of good sense or moral integrity or perception in other words uh, this woman is causing offense. She's entering into sin. She speaks in such a way that reveals secrets. She has no discretion. And it actually is ruining the beauty that she has. Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman, but who lacks discretion. And so, of course, we want to be a people who not only are uh, you know, one thing outwardly, uh, whether beautiful or not beautiful, our main desire is that internally we could be growing in our character and beauty. First Peter three, verse four, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. And this, of course, is the announcement of the Old and the New Testament, that there is a kind of beauty that is imperishable. First Peter 3, 4, a kind of beauty that is able to grow and a kind of beauty that is able to last. It's quite different than physical external beauty. It is the inner beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. It's the inner beauty of a person's character. And so here you have a woman with external beauty obviously, for that season in her life, but that will fade. And unfortunately, she had no inner beauty to accompany her outer beauty. So it's better to have the discretion inwardly, the character inwardly, and to cultivate and develop uh, develop that. And the beautiful thing, of course, is that the gospel permits and makes possible for all of us to grow from glory to glory into the same image that we are beholding, the image of Jesus Christ. So as we spend time with Jesus, we are transformed internally, and we become more like him, which means we become more beautiful internally within our hearts and, and lives. The desire, verse 23, of the righteous ends only in good, the expectation of the wicked in wrath. And so again, you have a contrast, the desire of the righteous, it ends in good, the expectation of the wicked, it actually ends in wrath. One, verse 24, gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. 
Now, this is one of those fascinating proverbs that teaches us that God is involved in the financial realm of our lives. Here you have a person who is giving freely. They have a generous hand. Whether this comes in the forms of the form of tithing or the form of generosity to those who are in poverty, there is a freely uh, generous spirit in this person's life. Now the confusing thing or the thing that is such a paradox to us is that he does he says one gives freely yet he grows all the richer in other words he isn't growing in poverty he is growing in wealth and then you have another who withholds what he should but he is suffering want or he's suffering lack and what this means is that as we shovel it out god's shovel is bigger and he shovels it in. And just understanding and believing that as we uh, open up our hand and are generous, God is involved in that process. He sees what we are doing and he will provide for us. Whoever, verse 25, brings blessing will be enriched and one who waters will himself be watered. Again, the same type of concept there in verse 25, that as you bring a blessing, you give and you're enriched. You water and you yourself will be watered. Again, this is the New Testament concept. Jesus said that if we want to be his disciple, we will take up our cross, deny ourselves, and follow after him. The one who seeks to save his life actually loses it. But when we lose our life for his sake and the gospels, we actually find our lives. The one who brings a blessing will be enriched. The one who waters will himself be watered. The people, verse 26, curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. So again, the same concept, releasing the grain versus holding the grain. Whoever diligently, verse 27, seeks good, seeks favor, but evil comes to him who searches for it. So a person who is actually diligently seeking after good, he's actually in search of favor or grace or kindness. Whoever, verse 28, trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. And again, embedded here seems to be the concept of a generosity and a giving and trusting that the Lord will be the one to flourish us like that green leaf. Whoever, verse 29, troubles his own household will inherit the wind and the fool will be servant to the wise of heart. So here you have a man who is actually bringing pain into his own household and his inheritance is not a good one. It's simply the wind. And in addition, or to illustrate this even further, the fool actually becomes servant to the wise of heart. The fruit, verse 30, of the righteous is a tree of life, and whoever captures souls is wise. Now, this is a beautiful proverb that could be easily and readily applied to evangelism. When you capture souls, you live a wise life. You become a tree of life, and that would be likely the fullest application of Proverbs 11 verse 30. However, in that context, the capturing of souls wasn't necessarily evangelism, but it was capturing a soul from the way of folly, the way of 
sin, the way of unrighteousness, the way of rebellion, into a life of righteousness. And when you think about it that way, the capturing of souls, in other words, mentoring a person into maturity, spending time in their presence, helping them escape the life of folly and enter into a life of righteousness, that is a kind of life that is a tree of life and is fruitful and is incredibly wise. So perhaps to think about the capturing of souls in, of course, evangelism, but also in the rescuing someone from a life of folly into a life of righteousness. Now, verse 31, if the righteous is repaid on earth, how much more the wicked and the sinner. And so here we have a contrast from greater to the lesser. The righteous are repaid. How much more will the wicked and the sinner also be repaid? We like to think of God's judgment or God's correction. We like to think of it, we like to think of the end of life as pure reward. God will reward, God will give, God will be generous, but he also will repay wickedness and repay evil. And so Proverbs 11, great wisdom from our Father in heaven who is trying to speak to our hearts as a Father to direct our lives. God bless you and amen. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and teachings or to contact us, please visit us at nateoldridge.com.